Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Kathy Sheridan. Roshin Engel, what is going on in your fascinating life this week? <laughs> well, uh, yesterday I was really interested in the fact that Monica Lewinsky was in town. She is a woman who over the past couple of decades that I've been really admiring of. And when she, I was sort of, I'm a similar vintage, similar age to Monica. She's 45 and I'm 47. And when what happened to her happened to her, basically when the whole world, um, I think she was basically, before we had, we didn't have used to have words that we have now, but she was publicly shamed. That's what we'd say now. But we wouldn't have used those words at the time. Um, and obviously for having uh, that relationship with um, Bill Clinton, who was president of the United States at the time. But anyway, I've just been always watching her over the years and finding her kind of just really having empathy with what an absolute nightmare situation she was in and how it would have affected her in terms of her mental health, how, how she would, how you would manage to survive um that kind of experience. So over the years, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've always uh, been interested in her and I was delighted to see she comes came here because she's kind of coming out now in more recent years since the Me Too movement uh, has come about in this kind of anti-bullying way and looking at how we treat people online and all these kind of things and really trying to, as people talk about it, reclaim the narrative of her story. Mm. So she was in town and uh, Rosita Boland has a very good piece in the paper today about um, her speech. She certainly does. Um, one of the things, Roshan, that I've wondered about Monica, I mean, my generation, which is a fair bit older than yours, obviously, uh, we are culpable in some ways, actually, for not being sufficiently critical of that abuse of power that went on. On the other hand, I say to people, put yourself back in that time. At last, we had a, we had a president who was modern and liberal and as importantly, a spouse who was very much our woman of the future. So I believe that we didn't do Monica justice on the one hand. On the other, we were dealing with the cards we had at the time, I suppose. But one of the things that interests me about Monica is that I would have thought a lot of women, having gone through that horror show, would have gone away, changed their names and lived in, in, in quiet calm for the rest of their lives. She seems to have gone on... Uh, I suppose, dealing with this in a very public way. I mean, she hasn't, she hasn't. She Obviously, there was the book. Uh, Andrew Morton did a book with her a long time ago. It's a good while ago now. But then you didn't hear very much from Monica Lewinsky for, for a good while. And it's only since, really since the Me Too thing, because she had this very, very good article in Vanity Fair. I don't know if you read that, where she kind of looked back at um, what happened to her through the prism, in a way, of Me Too and how... Now we would look at it in a very different way. And it's, so it's only really in recent years that she, as Rosita writes today, that she's emerged from the silence and actively become a public figure. And she said yesterday something very interesting. She said, we have words now for what happened to me then. Today we call it cyberbullying, slut shaming and online harassment. 
I've been asked the question a lot. Why now? Why did I stick my head up over the parapet again? And she just says, because it was time. It was time to stop and to take back my narrative. And what she really wants to show people is that it is possible to survive this shaming and you can you can come out and you can insist that there's a different ending to your story. So I, while I understand what you're saying, and I think a lot of people would have maybe changed their name and gone off in a corner and hidden, she, I suppose, a woman of in her 40s is saying, no, why should I? Mm. I? I am not going to be that person who has to, I'm sure the Clintons would love if she never showed her face again. That would suit them very well. But she's not doing that. And I just, I really have so much admiration for mm. her that she's trying to do good. And I do look back, it's funny you say that about um, how we, I mean, yeah, you are a different age to me and I've been doing a lot of looking back on this case and feminists at the time, including people like Gloria Steinem, really were not good allies of Monica Lewinsky and it was to do with the fact that there was this liberal charismatic, good-looking president, you know, doing a lot of good work for women's well, causes. Yes, don't forget that. No, yes. I, I'm not forgetting yeah. that, but I still it, think, was that a reason to throw Monica Lewinsky under the bus? I don't think it was. And I think we owe her, and I think feminist, feminism owes her. And I'm glad, in a way, that she's coming out to say, no, let, let's really be honest about what happened here. If you look at Stormy Daniels now, and you see how, you know, Stormy Daniels, a porn star, gets all this kind of, you know, time and we kind of respect to a degree Stormy. And there's, there's a degree to which is it because we've got this horrible, heinous guy in the White House now and we like we don't like him. So, you know, we, it's easier for us to like Stormy Daniels. But you wonder, you wonder as well, if it happened again, a similar Monica Lewinsky thing, would 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 it be very different or if it was somebody that we really liked would we have a hard time and would we shame them and punish them you know I still think there's a lot of um, well, it's I'll not say, necessarily yeah. as cut and dried you know? well also I'll finish by saying this this by saying that that I think I, I hope it were to happen again that um, that other women wouldn't betray her as they did I mean the, the that I, I think things might not have been quite so bad mm. if she hadn't had such terrible uh, women who, who apparently befriended her and then let her down so terribly. So this is a many-faceted subject, is, which I think is. is fascinating. And I think, Monica, I think a lot of people sort of have huge time for that, for that podcast uh, about those years. I, you know, people of your generation and younger who have started to listen and inform themselves and seen a whole new side to this. Yeah, but even on the basis that she's somebody who's been through the most extreme version of what we see happening to a lot of people at the moment. And it was before we, as she said, before we had words for it, before we knew what was happening. She's very well placed to help people and to help us understand why it's such a damaging thing that can happen to people and to give people tools to cope with it. And also, you know, she's very strong on clickbait and and, and the way that women are treated online. And I think she's got a lot to say and I think we should listen to her. So I'm glad she hasn't uh, changed her name and gone yes. away. I don't think she should have to. I think she's a very intelligent, very empathetic, uh, very experienced, unfortunately, because of such a bad yeah. experience she had. But she's learned a lot from that. And I think she is perfectly entitled to share that with the world. And I hope that, um, you know, I don't want to see her make money. I want to see her make yeah. a great living out of it. And... And uh, I think she's a person of integrity. So anyway, I was delighted to see her in town. And I think she's coming back here in a couple of months for an anti-bullying conference of some kind. Well, that'll be very interesting. So you never know, we might, we may yet get her in here, which would be a really big dream of mine. Because one of the lines I love from yesterday was, 
uh, you can insist on a different ending to your story, yeah. which I think has universal well, application. Can I also just end on one thing that Rosita ended her piece with this, but she's talked about um, when she was, uh, a few years ago, she was hit on by this 27-year-old guy oh, yeah. um, and his very unsuccessful pickup line to her was that he could make, he, she said, he could make me feel 22 again and everyone was cracking up because Monica just said, I'm probably the only person over 40 who really doesn't want to be 22 again <laughs> because, of course, she was 22 when that all happened. So she's got a great sense of humour about it oh, too. And, she does. Um, I think she's brilliant. So, Roisin, what else? Well, wasn't it great to see that a movie about periods won an Oscar? I mean, there was great jubilation about that, I think. Um, It's called Period, End of Sentence. It's got a very serious note. It's a Netflix film that everyone can go and watch. Um, It's got a serious... thing about it in terms of period poverty and of course there's so much good work being done in Ireland by Homeless Period Ireland uh, for, for women who can't afford um, tampons and sanitary towels but it is really brilliant the way um, menstruation periods this bleeding that ha- that we all endure uh, every month who are, who are women um, it's kind of becoming this thing that we can talk about now and we can yeah, you know it's yeah. a political issue but it's also such a deeply personal issue It's and also quite amazing that it won I mean, it's, it's a 20, 20 six minute documentary basically and it, it, it won an Oscar uh, very soon after a Hollywood reporter writer wrote that the subject was too icky for men I know and yet poor it little men poor little men <laughs> it reminded me a lot actually of Emily Pine's book you know it's got a chapter about bleeding and about this male yes. author talking about bleeding out of the pages yeah. and she then went on to ask in great actually quite funny detail what does he mean by bleeding and described all the ways women actually physically bleed. So it is interesting this is happening. There is, there is definitely some underground movement to make this a non-taboo yeah. subject. And uh, like I love the way the women when they went up to collect their award they were saying I'm crying but I promise I'm not on my period. Like, <laughs> I have to laugh. Um, I have to say my two little girls are going to be 10 in April and um, they don't listen to this podcast because otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk about what I'm going to say but you know they're starting to ask questions about things that um, can be difficult to talk about and you know I have to I have to start getting those books down from the shelf that I ordered online to explain all these big life um, issues I'm talking about sex education obviously yes. but they've just recently discovered about the fact that women um, bleed and I really I'm trying to talk about to them about it in a really positive way but even as I'm talking about it to them, I'm, I, I feel like I just have to say to them, like, it's it's terrible. Like, it's it's awful, this thing that we have to do for for years and years of our lives in terms of the pain, in terms of the but discomfort. you're not got to frame it like no, that, No, I'm not you? framing it like oh. that, but I'm figuring it out, Cathy. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's On another hand, I can't be making it all moonlight and roses and this is an amazing thing and this is being a woman because it's awful. Like, it's an awful thing. We don't talk about it in that way a lot and say it, it's very disruptive. It's not. Um, and because of the taboo nature of it, you know, it's not something you can kind of be open about. So you have to go around hiding it and kind of not talking about it and pretending it's not happening. I'm trying to find a better way to talk to them about it. I know you think I'm not doing I'm obviously not doing a good job, but, but I don't want to lie to you terrible. I don't know what the effect is going to have on them. <laughs> You know, and then the thing was, you know, they sort of got into their heads that it was just something that happened in your when you were a teenager. 
And then I had to tell them, no, it's like your whole life. And they just, they're appalled. I I can't blame them. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) anyway, the film film came about because of the PAD project, an organisation that works to get feminine hygiene products to girls so they can stay in school. Yeah. So your two little ones, I think, will be fascinated by that side of the story. Well, that's true. Maybe I can. (laughs) I think you could approach from that point of view, Roshi. I might might outsource the problem and get someone else to get someone else to explain it. Well, not me. It's too icky, (laughs) Roshi. <laughs> boom, boom. What okay. have you got lined up for us in this episode? Right, moving on. <laughs> well, later on, we're going to be talking former Rose of Tralee, Maria Walsh, about entering the world of European politics. Stay tuned for that. She's a very impressive young woman and not short of answers, I can tell you. But first, Grace Talon is the organiser of a very special International Women's Day event in Dublin. And make sure you put a big red mark in your diary because, of course, International Women's Day is Friday the 8th of March. No time away. Grace, you have this fabulous banquet of talent lined up for this performance on, on, uh, on the evening of International Women's Day. Um, but International Women's Day, what's the point of it? What are you doing this for? For me, I suppose it's about this sense of collective consciousness. So it's about celebrating how far we've come and about the journey that we're still on. Um, we've programmed some incredible music and we have two fantastic male com- male musicians in the concert. And that is for a reason, because we need men on board and they are. And let's show that, you know, we have men behind these wonderful female composers um, and we want men to come along to the event. And what is it about the event, Grace, that makes it particularly suitable for International Women's Day? Well, I suppose with movements like Waking the Feminist and Sounding the Feminist, which I am a part of, the working group, um, we're leading the way in Ireland in terms of giving female composers a platform. So for this event, we wanted to programme female composers, but often there is a sense of elitism when it comes to classical music. So for me, it was about giving people a taste of the classical, a taste of we have DJ Mona Lisa doing a set, we have the fantastic Grace Diaz speaking. So it's about getting a taste of all of the incredible female-led theatre and music and arts we have in a comfortable, relaxed environment. Is it a kind of a one-off from that point of view, you know, for, for having those, those very disparate uh, kinds of music? It's, it, it, it really makes it sound very interesting. Um, are you hoping that people will come away feeling, gosh, I didn't think I liked that classical music quite so much or fancy having two men playing on International Women's Day? Well, I suppose the the whole concept behind Anco, and that's the company that I founded with Heidi Walsh, is that we want to give people a, a chance to experience something that they wouldn't always have the opportunity to. Because in any role you're in, creativity is so important. So our events are about inspiring and giving you maybe a little spark that you can bring back into your life. Particularly for this event, it's if you generally don't listen to classical music, it's giving you a chance to see how fabulous it is, how fabulous even our own female composers here in Ireland, like the likes of Alva McDonough, who we are, there's some stunning music um, composed to the text of William Butler Yeats. And is that what she does? Now, you're going to have to begin by assuming that we know nothing about any of this. Okay. So, yes, um, Alva McDonough is a cellist and an, an Irish composer, and she has put music to the text of William Butler Yeats. And the incredible soprano, Sylvia O'Brien, will be performing a piece by Alva McDonough with Niall Kinsella. 
And what we hope is that if you come to our event on International Women's Day and you hear this music, you may see it being performed somewhere else and you will go out and you will support our female musicians and composers because really we all know that that's what it's about in the arts. And um, We hear love your orchestras all the time, but you really have to go out and support these artists. And, and I suppose that's what International Women's Day is about, is supporting females. And we want to highlight those working in the arts to push for gender balance as well, because the arts is so incredible and it really gives I mean Grace Diaz came out and spoke and by doing so it raised awareness for situations um, that perhaps were uncomfortable before are frankly just not acceptable anymore um, and are you, are you feeling that in, in the undercurrent now Grace is that is that actually happening is there a sense of no more absolutely I mean we, we still have a long long way to go but by highlighting it and Leanne Bell did a, a wonderful job by doing that and everybody else that w- was involved in Waking the Feminist pushing for this. No, we will not accept it. Not only do females have to compose music, write pieces of theatre, they have to get involved in activism as well. So men can just write the stuff, but women actually have to get out and actively try to get their stuff produced. And, and does that apply to classical music as well? Oh, Because that's an area very few people know anything about. Absolutely. Like If you go to a concert in the concert at all, for instance, you look onto the stage and you'll see, yeah, generally women are well represented. But when you go back and you look at the programming of those concerts, we just don't have any females. No female music is being composed. And it's only since the likes of Sounding the Feminist have come out. And this is a voluntary led group, remember, of women who are trying to make sure that we start to program this music. And we, we do have that. And thanks to the support of the department, the National Concert Hall and Sound of the Feminists now have a programme where there's a female composer series. But to me, that's not far enough because we shouldn't just have a female composer series. We should have music programmed in the general, you know, that this isn't in the, 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 the main hall. This is a separate chamber series. You also look on onto the stage and generally who's leading the orchestra? A conductor, generally they're male. Um, so, you know, you can't be what you can't see. I'm a music teacher as well and my students, I always encourage them to go to these concerts and they're looking up onto the stage and they're seeing men conducting all the time. They say to me, actually, one, one of my students has said to me, why do I never play any music by female, female composers? You know, and that's, that's back on me. So even though I'm involved, you have to look and say, are we doing everything we can to support? Um, and that's, that's about teachers teaching female female composers' music as well as, as making sure that we're programming it. So the big point of this event, Grace, is that it's all entirely composed by women. Absolutely. Everything in the concert is, is composed by females. We have a fantastic singer-songwriter, Maria Greenan, who has recently just done a, a, her own arrangement of The Cranberry Zombie. And she's an unbelievable classical pianist and... You know, it's about showcasing the likes of Marie Green and, and Mongoose as well, who are a wonderful female band. And, and they are they're going to be playing at the event as well, as well as, you know, female, female DJs. Mona Lisa has, has to fight to, to get the gigs over over men. And that's just the fact of it. It's harder. And not only is she producing her own stuff and, and trying to get her own gigs, she actually is championing 
other women in the arts and, and runs an organisation called Girls Code and she supports an array of creatives in that. So it's it's really amazing to see women and men, it has to be said and men, um, because getting behind women and making sure that we're pushing towards, you know, this space of, I say, the normal societies of equality. To me, it should be normal. We shouldn't be fighting anymore um, because it is balanced for better, as we're hearing all the time. Yes. Um, it makes for better societies. And are men actually pushing for you? I, I have to say 100%. Um, absolutely. I mean, I'll say... We really have, 100%? Uh, well, I think so. For, 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 for those that I, I'm working with, particularly in the arts, they are behind it. You know, and they're not given an option now. This is what I like. I think we've gotten to a point where we we are in a transition. We're on a journey. But I do believe we've gotten to a point where it's just not acceptable anymore. Um, so, you know, we have a long way to go. But I think men have no option now but to get behind it. And and it's like everything. We're 50 years into it. It will be another 50 years, I believe, before we really get, um, you know, gender balance. Um, but we're on the right road. Grace, tell us about Sounding the Feminists. So Sounding the Feminists is a voluntary-led organisation that came together, I suppose, on the back of, of seeing how powerful Waking the Feminists was. And female composers wanted to do the same thing um, for women working in the music side of the arts. And luckily, the concert hall got behind them, the department got behind them, and there was an award granted, um, a five-year programme with the concert hall to programme female-led music. Um, And also this year, which is very exciting, there will be a commission by the concert hall two female composers, um, so an established composer and an emerging composer. This is not only the first female commissioned piece by the Concert Hall, it's actually the first piece the National Concert Hall have ever commissioned. So I think that that is a push. And, and, and that's when I come back to saying, are men 100% behind? There isn't an option now because this has been granted. It's coming down from the top. It's coming down from the department that it has to happen. Um, so... That is amazing. That really is amazing, Grace. We have a Me Too moment in music now, obviously, which has really taken off. And the, on the one hand, very depressing, and on the other hand, exhilarating because there's so much of it that we already suspected anyway. Does the same apply in classical music? Is, is, is classical music as open to that kind of harassment and misogyny as, as other kinds of music? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Even if you look at the likes of Jennifer Walsh just um, was actually quoted in the Irish Times in an interview speaking about about the fact that females have to write music and they have to get involved in activism because you just don't get heard. There's not enough voices at the table. I mean, for me, it's at the top of organisations. If you look at who's leading these arts organisations, very often they're men. Um, so you have to ask the question, where are the women in these arts organisations and are they at the top and why are they not if they're not? Yeah. Um, so I think it has to come down from the top because, you know, our, our arts, our composers, our musicians, that's their job. So they shouldn't have to then be pushing to get their work heard as well over men. Um, so we need to make sure that our boards and people who are leading these arts organisations, there's a balance on that. And I think, you know, again, thanks to Waking the Feminist and all the work that I'm doing with Sound of the Feminist, hoping that we get to a stage where there has to be gender balance in these organisations. Are there many in the organisation in Sounding the Feminist? At the moment, there's four in the working group. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and it's a huge collective. 
So there's four in the working group, but I mean, there's the likes of of Fair Play as well are are unbelievable, and it's trying to collaborate with the likes of Fair Play as well to to push this agenda. So while I say there's four in the working group, it's a huge movement, and we're reaching out all the time, and people are coming to us, and we're hoping to to help and inspire and and support as many um, female musicians. Uh, that we can in the country. Just before we go, tell us a bit about that fantastic event. It's not just all sort of, you know, worthy, here are women, there's bubbly and all sorts of things. Absolutely not. So you come, it's six to nine and the idea is that you know, there's going to be a huge amount, there's people from, women from politics and men, um, from from the arts, um, cultural organisations, social entrepreneurs, you're coming together and you're celebrating how far we've got and, and, and where we're going. So for €38, Euro, you're going to get watered and fed. You're going to have canapes, you're going to have bubbly and you're going to hear some of our top musicians that we have in the country all playing female female composed music. Grace, Talon, thank you so much for coming in to tell us about it and the very best of luck with it. Thank you very much, Cathy. So Grace's event is called And Still I Rise, produced by And Co. and will be held in the Pillar Room in the Rotonda Hospital. Thank you very much, Grace Talon. And there are lots of things going on for International Women's Day, including the annual Accenture event in the Convention Centre, which is where the women's podcast will be on the day. And we'll bring you that in a future episode. We're quite excited about that. Now, you remember the name Maria Walsh because of the Rose of Tralee, which she won in 2014 when she was the Mayo Rose and the first openly gay woman to win the Rosa Tralee crown. The following year, Ireland became the first country in the world to bring in same-sex marriage by popular vote. But she's a long way from a lovely girls' competition now, and at 31, she is the youngest Fine Gael candidate running for the European elections. She says she has a desire to embrace a new Ireland, which she believes is diverse and tolerant, but continues to embrace family, community and sense of place. She's a woman with lots of enthusiasm and curiosity, a committed Catholic and, refreshingly, is a person who is very upfront about her lack of political experience. I started by asking her what a nice Rose of Tralee is doing running to be a member of the European Parliament. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know what, over, I guess, long before even Rose of Tralee entered my, my life or I entered it, um, we were very active in our community in terms of being accountable for civic duty with around our dinner table in the house that I grew up. My, my folks are passionate community people. Um, and then when the Rose of Chile happened, it almost became amplified because you are connecting with so many different people and not just here, but throughout the world, that ever growing Irish diaspora that we have. So, um, you know, in answering these questions and, and even thinking about getting into politics, it's a very organic adventure, I guess, for me. And now and now it's on. Now it certainly is running for the European Parliament. Well, what was it like at the Mullingar Convention? Were there shenanigans? There, there was no shenanigans. I tell you what, uh, there was no vote essentially because both Mairead McGuinness, first vice president of the European Parliament, and has been sitting MEP for fifteen years, and myself were were going through uh, through nomination through convention. So we knew that going into it. Um, but I would have, I would have, you know, on reflection, I would have hated to have been when you're going around trying to get votes and you're up against different people like that, as a first-timer and as someone who is not party-specific and has didn't grow up in a house that is party-led, um, it would have been a different night for me. But for me, uh, I, I'm a bit of a reflective person, particularly on Sunday. So Sunday I sat around with my, my parents and my siblings live abroad, uh, two out of three siblings live abroad, so we were FaceTiming and, and we were chatting about the night and it was a big, it was a big night and it's a big night for my community. Um, yet again, you know, five years on, 
uh, we're entering into a, uh, another public arena and another public space and it's exciting. But a little bit daunting, I'm not going to lie. It is, Maria. Tell me this now. I do know a little bit about politics and especially local politics. Great, because I know nothing, so you're going to be great. Well, you were parachuted <laughs> in as a celebrity candidate. Were there really no under, underground sort of murmurings? No, um, I don't know about was I parachuted. I tell you what, and as I said, like I, I, was, I was building towards it. So every time I, I, I take on projects or I work with the organisation, you know, I'm an I'm a, I'm a ambassador for Jigsaw Mental Health Services. So every time I was uh, involved in things or I say touching things, it was a case of they were always for a bigger or better thing. So it, it was building towards it. Now, a lot of people think I was uh, thrown in and, and given the brand that I'd built over the last five years for, for Post Rose, um, yeah, that they simply put a put a Finnegale stamp yeah, on you. Yeah, no, no, I, you know, I guess, I guess for me, from a personal side, I wanted to make sure I was right for the job long before I even sat in front of any party. Um, so I went to a Women for Election event last June. That was my birthday gift to myself. Um, and I, I walked into the room. It was here in Dublin, and I walked in. And I thought, I said to myself, if this doesn't scare the bejesus out of me, and it it excites me, and I'm not daunted by it. Then I'm going to progress with it, and and, I and got, at this I, point, had you been approached by somebody? No, not at all. Nobody, nobody had approached nobody you to at say, all. "Let's I run." I was just more trying to figure out. Hang on, what, what, where do I see my strengths and my weaknesses? Where do I see them lying in, 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 and not even party led, just more in the space of politics, um, because my mind works in a creative, operational role, given my work, given my experience working in the states, and I, my undergrad is journalism, and. So all my experiences were building up to something. So I just wanted to make sure, hang on, maybe it's campaign manager versus any candidate or maybe it's um, working for a party versus being a candidate. Maybe it's not just, you know, under the media sphere even, there's so many different facets to to that word. So for me, under the political landscape, it probably would be the same. Um, but I went to that event and it didn't, it, it, it excited me. Um, even when we talk about quotas and numbers and polling stations and number twos and number threes and number sixes and all those great things. And then I went to another event they had a couple of weeks later where it was in the WeWorks um, by Women for Election and they had all parties there, representations, um, deputies, senators, councillors. And it was a chance to, it was like speed dating. It was a chance to go around and, and connect with different parties. Um, and that's kind of where it, it, it had built. And did you pick your party that day or did somebody approach you after You know, that? I remember meeting and interviewing uh, uh, for the National Women's Council a couple of days after the 2016 general election and I met uh, the formidable force of Kate O'Connell um, and I thought to myself if she I seen her from me in the room at, at the speed dating event and I said if she's the same personality in person that I met in 2016 um, it, you know I would I would understand that the party and this big party industry and the maybe the ideas we have, I had of a party, if if she was still her same self, um, that would be something for me. And she was, she's the exact same, no, no, no stopping that, that force. Um, and it kind of, and it built from there. And, and but you who know, actually Dan, said to you, Maria, I, we, I, I, we'd I like you to run for Fine Gael. Well, I did. I actually started, I started the conversation. I made sure, um, I made sure I was doing the right thing for me. Um, and more importantly, I was doing the right thing for my, my family because I'm really conscious, you know, 2014, which is five years ago, I'm well and truly retired, Rose. Um, the I always talk about the unexpected expectation happens. So you go into the festival 
and I was never a, a rose that went in with the expect, expectation that I was going to come out with the international title. Not a, not far from it. I went for 10 days of the crack and represented my area and the many chapters that I had. And uh, and the only thing I really wanted to get out was that I'm a pioneer and talk about my cousin Teresa who had passed away a number of years prior. So there are the two things and I fulfilled that. And then it happened. Uh, but my parents and my, my siblings never really got the opportunity to say, hang on a second, like, do we do we want to be in the public arena? Um, and they didn't get that choice. So for me entering into politics, I, I wanted to make sure, A, it was the right party, it was right for me, um, it was the right avenue. And then with that, then, was it right for everybody else? Because See, this is fascinating yeah. for other women listening mm-hmm. to this, that you made up your own mind about politics, about the party you wanted to run for, you went to the meetings yourself without being nudged by someone else and finally you approached somebody in Fine Gael to say, I want to be your European Parliament candidate. Yeah, well actually I went, well, well, when, I, when I first went to speak to the party, it was a case of I'm a very community driven person um, so I went in actually talking about local politics um, and it was there actually where it was a case of would you ever consider a more European space you know, um, and, and that I've been saying from the get-go, you know, I went in not even realising Europe and and the space of Europe was even coming up. You know, it was more, hang on, is there something local that I could get involved in? Because I was looking for... um <laughs> my friend, my friends laugh at me, going like, "Of course, you would go into uh, a political party, and with the idea of like maybe it will give you structure." Because I was looking to stay, stay local in some sense, and and make roots permanently. And um, and then I came out, and Europe was floated. And and what I did was I did my own little research. I text. Um, it was about five, maybe ten. No, oh, maybe about ten friends randomly, random friends from. You know, some roses, some with football, like random. Um, and I text them saying, can you tell me what the European Party does for us or European Parliament or anything when an MEP does? And out of, I think maybe it was 10, I'm trying to think of names now, um, eight or nine of them came back saying, not a clue, sure. I know I've heard, I know we have some sort of representation, but I don't know. And then that for me is like, hmm. Okay, there's space here to have a good dialogue and there's a space to change an idea of what an institution which is really important to Ireland um does. And then that and then it was a reflection on me to go and do some homework and figure out whether I had the strengths and weaken, weaknesses to fit into that because I think it's really important to talk about, you know, you have to learn and through learns you you fail and you trial and you 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 keep moving. So that's that, kind of where the yeah, get, getting the message out there of what yeah. what an MEP does. As you can tell, I'm going to be the worst does. politician because you just should just say one sentence versus no twenty I, minutes of. I think Ramesh. I think your curiosity really, really will work in your favour because I, I feel very strongly that people don't know what MEPs yeah. do and they're yeah. only getting a, they're only getting a, a hint now of how important yeah. it is. Well, we are almost forced with Brexit conversations. We are almost forced to have that conversation. And then the accountability or or you see our, you know, Thonister and Minister McEntee um, flying back and forth and talking about the importance of it. Um, and now as civic society members, as people who live in the communities right across the country, it, it, it's our job to be responsible as to use our democratic voice. Um, and if you're not knowing what's out there, then it's a twofold. We need to do more work as people and then our representation needs to do more work in terms of having right. that conversation. inform people what, what, yeah, what MEPs yeah, yeah. do. Now, Maria, you'll be representing, what is it, is it 13 counties? 
13 counties. 13 yeah. counties. It was 15 prior to yes. the, the, the UK yeah. potentially Who leaving. Who knows? Leaving yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what's going to happen there? Depends on when this podcast yes. is going out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows what's going to happen <laughs> yeah. in the next 20 minutes. Um, so 13 counties, mm. Midlands Northwest, which actually is an amazing amalgam of conservatism and liberalism and all of those mm. things. Yeah, it's very big space in terms of even urban and rural and very rural versus small village like I came from. It's 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 very vast, very diverse. So dealing with the, with the with traditional conservative Ireland or what you, one of the things you say um, you believe in being diverse and tolerant, but in in a in a country that continues to embrace tradition of family, community, and sense of place. Now I'm a paradox. You, <laughs> is it going to be difficult to ride those horses, Maria, you know? Um, I think I'm going to have a lot of conversation on the doorstep about um, my orientation and who I am as a person. But I'm extremely, you know, right from even 2014, even prior to that, you know, community and the conversation around the importance of giving back in, in, a, in a very community space has always been a part of who I am. You know, I am my, my friends call me that traditional liberalist because they don't really know how to define me other than that. You know, I, I, I'm a part of the Catholic Church. I, I, I try and go to Mass as often as I can. Do you go every Sunday? I do. I try to. And and, and, it's, and it's a twofold. I go because I'm, I, I, I love our local parish priest. So if I'm home, I try and go down. He's a young guy and he's super, he, he's great. Um, and then I, I go selfishly sometimes just to have a half an hour or depending on the eulogy that he wants to give at that time um, could be an hour where I just sit and I, I, I it's a mindfulness exercise where there's no noise no phones nobody talking to you you're just sitting and, and thinking about maybe the week gone by and the week ahead um, and then I'm a pioneer so I, I'm a So you haven't you haven't had a drink since you took your pledge at your confirmation 12, yes. This, and, this summer probably, I celebrate 20 years And probably and probably Probably no drink before that. No drink before that, no. Um, so for me, it was a case of um, when I do go to the doorstep, you know, in your in your question there, um, will I be faced with any? I don't know. You know, throughout Rose and Synth, it's very much about who I am as a person. I'm always trying to introduce myself as, you know, me being gay is just a very small, minute part of who I am. Like I would introduce myself as being a pioneer long before I introduced myself as being gay <laughs> because I made that decision, you know. Um, I haven't met a pioneer for years. No, no, we years. Did, we did, You're yeah. most unusual. <laughs> That is the most unusual yeah. thing. I'm looking around the that. room and nobody's putting their hand up there also for being no, a pioneer. So. No pioneers um, here. But, um, but Maria, there's other things, of course, uh, that are attached to the, the church, yeah. like it or not, which is yeah. homophobia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that with that with that um, yeah. disconnect? Yeah, no, and, and it, it it was a question actually last August in, in prep of uh, the the big the big man the Pope's arrival to the country uh, that I was asked several times and and I talked in a documentary uh, that went out on RT around uh, around the Pope's visit and looking at his writings and and it, and the Catholic Church's teachings and perhaps I'm wrong. Um, or perhaps I have to look at it from a greater perspective because that's the type of person in, in the household I, I grew up in. Um, for me, you know, I have a relationship with my parish priest as I have a relationship with a couple of different parish priests around around the country based off people who I would have done charitable trips with or or, or would know just in passing. Um, I'm speaking at actually a Novena Mass in Carlo in, in May because after that documentary aired about my, my beliefs, for me personally with the the Catholic Church, uh, the priest called me to say, I'd love for you to share 
your your ideas and your mindset because And what do you say, Maria? If somebody yeah. says to you, you are you're quite a you're a serious Catholic, mm. there's no doubt about it. If somebody asks the straight question, how do you square the church's yeah. homophobia with your orientation? Yeah. What do you say? I mean it's extremely wrong. Um but then I have to look at the bigger question is if if I don't go, then the only person missing out then is is me in that connection, you know. And and people may shout at this podcast or may may shout at me on the street at some point in the in the future. But for me, it's like my conversations with the man above at the pearly gates will happen at some point, I hope uh, not too soon. Um, and and we'll discuss it then and there. But I can't stop being who I am or celebrating the, the religion I grew up with and in um, and having that spiritual connection just because someone in the Vatican told me I shouldn't. So until the day happens where I get turned away from being my parish priest or another priest, then then I'll start making noise about it. And then my perspective will change. But as of now, I've always been welcomed. You know, I walked um, the Camino de Santiago. A very, it's, and it's not heavy Catholic. It's, it's a, a very spiritual journey. Um, and I walked that as a gift to myself post-Rose of Tralee. Um, because that's what you should do after spending a year in dresses and high heels. You go walk at 500 miles. Like, what is wrong with me? Um, and the amount of priests I would have met along the way, I became friends with actually the Bishop of Barbados. And we talked at length about, um, coming into our last week, we talked at length about, he goes, why can't you have a civil union? Why does it have to be marriage? A marriage is between man and woman. And I said, but you know me now because we've spent so much time together. Would you not want me to be happy in, in, a, in, a, in, in, a, in a union that is is a marriage? Because it is. And he goes, yeah, of course, I guess. And we challenged each other. And and there's some conversations where it was like, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. Um, and for me, then, that's where I kind of go back to this question. It's like, I can't, you know, not everybody's going to agree with the person I am. The Vatican won't allow me. But that doesn't mean I don't, I, I stop doing what I'm doing and believing mm. what I believe. Maria, did you feel able to go out and campaign for, say, same-sex marriage and abortion? Did you? Were you active in those two yeah, campaigns? Yeah, with the marriage equality referendum, I was the rose at the time. So it was a very apolitical, it's an apolitical festival. Um, I sat on this podcast chair uh, in that year and I remember uh, the, the formidable force of Roshi Ningle asking me the same question. Um, and... For me, it was a case of if I couldn't actively or publicly be out there and I took my grey areas with press, you know, I always said, of course, I wanted to be married in the country I was raised in and people need to appreciate myself. Um, And if I couldn't be out there publicly continuously, then I was going into schools, if welcomed for equality or wellness or talking to any sort of age demographic. Um, Like I talked to people in uh, petrol stations up and down the length of the country if I was pulling in and they wanted to meet someone who was gay who might have looked like me, you know, and you're always trying to lift that stereotypical image of anybody has anything. Um, So I always always engaged in the conversation and I always opened up question and answers to our younger people who, who they needed to be proud of the generation. They needed to go home and talk to parents about like, hang on, you know, you need to be thinking about me or my mm. friends, whatever, whatever diversity. We, so you we did campaign been. sort of suddenly, yeah. suddenly in my own way. And then yeah. with uh, with repeal, I definitely did. Um, I definitely I was I was talking in schools about the importance, um, talking in businesses in particular, um, women groups for sure. And then um, I was asked to, to, to public come out and take a shot. Uh, down in Smithfield, actually, but the focus was get out and vote. You know, as as people, we are so fortunate we live in a democratic society. Um, many countries that I would have travelled with since Rose and um, over Rose and since, they're not that fortunate where it's a case of they can go to the 
the, the ballot boxes and their vote is definitely going to be accounted. Um, so we need to make sure it happens here, you know. Is there a danger, Maria, of you being overly identified with with being gay? I mean, Leo yeah. is gay, Maria's gay. Yeah. Now they're all gay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is, I have so many jokes to make right now, but <laughs> as, a, as a candidate, I guess I can't make them anymore, can I? Um, my, my dad always says this wonderful line of um, when I came out uh, publicly, you know, even though I'd been living as a gay woman, and then uh, Leo, and it was building up to the marriage referendum, and he goes, Jesus, aren't they all gay? And I was like, yeah, Dad, we're all catching it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, you know, I think it's just a, t- a show of the times. And actually, I think it's really it's really positive when you have um, a person like Taoiseach who is very comfortable in his own skin. Well, he um, only came out a few years ago, Maria. Mm. I mean, we, we forget this. Is mm. that three years, maybe? Yeah, well, we're coming into And there was five, a huge yeah. hullabaloo yeah. about it. Was it five? I mean, I didn't... I always joke about the fact that, you know, I came out as... The, a known gay rose um, and I didn't break the most what is deemed the most traditional institution in, in the world and, and our Taoiseach didn't break the government so we're okay in sense of sexuality but it just goes to show you um, you know how far our mindset has come but we still have an awful lot way to go I mean an hour and a half from here up in Belfast it is far from equality up there um, you go to a short plane ride what now is deemed with modern technology, it's homophobia in in parts of Africa, in India, are highly illegal. Yeah. Um, but I was in a school actually uh, in in uh, Ballygar, County Galway, on Monday, and um, I was welcomed by the school talking about equality and diversity, um, a very rural area, and we we pulled a. We, we launched a, a rainbow flag right outside the school and I was talking to the young people about, you know, you think of all the generations ahead or people who are currently living in, in our countryside who would have left or who were living in isolated lives because their sexuality for themselves were never welcomed and then maybe perhaps the presumptions of the community never welcomed. And you think of all the people that sat on boats and planes over the years who just left because they felt too different. Um, and and since Monday, the amount of online trolling and abuse that the school and myself have, have been given is astronomical. But it's from a small minority group that are just... Do you recognise some of the names? Yeah, yeah. Well, like you recognise the, like the same names yeah. in the last couple of days. And it's it's horrendous when because you think a young person or any age demographic is going online now and searching... I don't know. Might search my name, considering I'm I'm in the news about my new my new my election uh, aspirations, and they they see the amount of abuse that I'm getting or the school's getting, and then they step a little bit further in. For example, it's, Maria, what, what what is the nature of the abuse? What do they oh, say? Oh, everything under sun. Extremely homophobic, racial slurs. Um, I'm damaging the minds. I shouldn't be going in with uh, an equality diversity agenda. You know, I never step into schools unless welcomed. Um, and I, I, I always engage in a Q&A session with kids, with young people, because I believe not just by pushing my own agenda, but I, all, I believe we're all accountable to a conversation. And if we're sitting around the table trying to change the world, you do that through very like minded or unlike minded mindsets. So, you know, there's times over rows and since I visit schools, I'm, I'm in a school usually one day a week, maybe a little bit more, um, depending on the like they're, they're celebrating wellness weeks, equality weeks, diverse weeks. So the school system is becoming a little bit more inclusive around that wellness package of a whole person. Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's sad, but I, I don't I don't 
it's water off a duck's back to me. Is it though? It is, yeah. Because you know. you're heading into a whole other forum now. Well, this is where I'm showing you my inside of my family and my friend sector. So my lovely, you know, when people try and mask those they love away from certain things. My family are the polar opposite. So I have a brother living in LA who's obviously a couple hours behind ahead of us. So he'll send things going, this is hilarious. I've seen this online, Maria. Did you see this? And I'm like, stop sending me stuff that I'm trying to avoid. Um, so we have the we have the polar opposite. Um, but no, it's it's a it's it, it doesn't affect me. Um, and I know my team are certainly blocking me from from some stuff, but my siblings are killing their strategy on that. But it's more of a case of just anybody who who searches for something online and trying to be comfortable with who they are and what they are, and and you, I'd imagine if you're in, if you're in a vulnerable space, you do step back. Um, Maria, what else about Europe are you going to bring? Mm. Uh, you're obviously going to bring your youth. You're 31. You're, you're, Thanks. You're, you're, clinging you're, on to those, clinging well, on to those youthful years. <laughs> do you speak any languages? No, I have a coupe, I plomos Irish, as I like to say. My mom, okay. my mother is uh, uh, is a Gwig or from Connemara, but um, we only we only used to get shouted at in Irish, so we never used to engage in it that much. We knew when she started speaking it, we were in trouble. Um, but for me, mental health is a huge part of who I am and what I am. I'm. I'm, I'm a, as I said earlier, I'm a jigsaw ambassador. So I'm really pushing for the com- Ireland to be a leader in mental health. And by that, it's um, pushing for the European year uh, 2022 uh, for good mental health, which allows then uh, me and my team and, and the country working with different departments in the country here, as well as the European Parliament, to push forward and work with the likes of Pieta House, Jigsaw, Spun Out, Belong To, um, engage with them and how we can get across the entire country. What are you country? hoping to achieve? Because there is a huge level yeah. of awareness out there mm-hmm. now. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere you look, somebody's talking about it yeah. and being very brave yeah. and coming out and talking about it. But what in, what in practical terms yeah, Maria, think, are we talking I, well, about? I think even there's so many people doing great work, but uh, collectively, we might be stronger if we come together. And that's why I think that under the European Year of Mental Health 2022 might be that path- pathway or avenue for that. Um, additional funding, resources, looking outside of just your typical urban area, which I think it's it's still important, but those isolated spots um, in rural Ireland right throughout the country is extremely important. Um, really pushing for legislation change and policy changes. And that means that we're getting into school systems right across the European Union younger and talking about wellness. Um, But equally looking at our older demographic who, you know, I came across, um, I was listening to our local radio station is uh, Midwest Radio. And a man who lives in an isolated area in County Mayo um, goes to pick up his pension every every week. Um, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday he was saying. And he sends a letter to himself because outside of picking up his pension and getting that letter that he sent to himself delivered by the postman, they're the only two engagements he has. Is that a true story? Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful and you don't I, get to sound like Andy Kenny. Yeah, you know, no, you know, no, those, but like... He, there was always a fella he met down the road. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> the, the name wasn't, wasn't revealed on, on air, but he lives he lives uh, not that far from me. And um, yeah. and you think to yourself, how how do we live in a, a situation where where people have to yeah. mail themselves to have engagement? So there's a huge amount to work, but you, you do that in, in, in policy and legislation and ensuring the conversation. And I think Ireland become a leader. Like... Catherine Minister Sapone, I should say, um, launched the the first ever LGBTQI youth strategy. First in the time, it's a huge leader. Other countries, particularly in Europe, are feeding into that and learning from that. So there's no reason why we can't be doing the same. So Maria, if you are to, if I were, you came to my door, 
uh, which you won't, unfortunately. <laughs> but if you did, and I said, what is it that you can bring to mm-hmm. this that, say, um, Lynn Rowan couldn't? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Um, I, I'm, I don't come from a party politics. I don't come from a political landscape whatsoever. But I do come from working with people and being passionate about people, being an advocate for people. Um, so for that, I have an, a different energy and a different agenda in the sense that um, I'm new to this, but I'm not shy of learning or asking questions. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're disenfranchised towards what happens. So transparency in conversation is extremely important to me. Um, new way of thinking and new voice is always welcomed because if we're not engaging or pushing and asking in, in the very depths. My, my constituency, as you said, is very diverse, but a large part of it is is rural Ireland. And the west of Ireland will be a huge space for me. Um, and making sure they feel uh, represented. And making sure our younger people, our new Irish... Um, I wasn't born in this country, but I was surely educated in that. We have a lot of new Irish coming in, um, making sure they feel represented. Um, and I can go down the line of, of, of policy. You know, I mentioned mental health, but... Um, industries and smaller industries are extremely important to this country. You know, small farming in one sense, um, farming in general is an industry that built the country. But for me, I come from having a wealth of experience in a startup space. And it's really frustrating when you go to certain agencies like um, Enterprise Ireland or your local enterprise board and say I'm a woman uh, and 60% of women are in our local uh, service industry, but there's not a significant amount of conversation about them and there's not a significant amount of incentives or funds for them to stay in business um, or get into business. And we need to fix that loophole. Um, and I know I, I can only talk about personal experiences or, as you said, Enda Kenny, when you met the man, you know, you're bringing stories together. Um, and. And for me, it's a case of our local food producers, our women sitting around a kitchen table, like much like we're sitting here, um, being an advocate for them, um, talking and Maria, about... Maria, if people say to you, what qualifies you to go for Europe? Mm. You know, you, you, you sort of, you, you've, you've no party background, mm. uh, you've no political background. Um, I don't know how much, I, have you had to do a crash course in European protocol well, and actually, law, I'm really laws? Excited. And uh, next week I go, the European Parliament has an initiative where uh, it's called EU40. So every candidate under 40, new or seasoned, um, will come together in Brussels next week and go through um, the intricate details of the European Parliament. They'll look at um, how we can engage in a different way from traditional, um, what you would have seen traditional politics do. So I'm excited about that because um, you're, you're dealing with like, or you're working with like-minded people and not just Irish ones, indeed, um, um, across the European Union. So that's an exciting. Um, so if this, if this was recorded next week, I would have it a breadth of knowledge. Um, but I'm really fortunate for the party that I'm in and, you 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 know, a, a huge advocate and, and, and a person for me is um, Brian Hayes. Um, and he's been extremely supportive. You know, I went to Brussels before Christmas, just to sit with him for um, a day, just to ask him questions. And and when you have someone like that who is so full of knowledge and has in-depth knowledge of what happens in, in the very grassroots of the European Parliament and you're able to to pick his brain, he's been uh, he's been immensely helped. But I think for me, um, you're right, and, and it'd be lying for your listeners and yourself if I told you, oh, you know, I have umpteen amount of years, because I don't, and it'd be a lie, but you have to start somewhere. And... Well, where have you started? You, you, were, you were talking there about a start-up. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, so you studied journalism. Yeah, my background is journalism. Um, my first job, I'll, I'll take you real back. My first job was when I was 12 and I worked at the Marsh. 
Um, uh, and That's I work, certainly qualifies. Yeah, you and to people ask me where we get we we get our us roses get our personalities in terms of being able to chat to any age or any person, and it is situations like that where you throw in I got my first £50 from the mart which is big money back then You might then. need to tell people what a mart is Yeah well a mart is where you sell and uh, you, you you move some good animals depending on what animals you're looking at and then as Rose I took pictures with every sort of poultry and any sort of animal and man and woman and all sorts um, but but people are my experience my apprenticeship has been So what? Um, so moving, been moving on you went to school yeah, okay. for me, uh, over over the years, you know, Rosa Tree was just the 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 podium that that helped me build. But for me, it was I I my undergrad is journalism. Um, I worked here for many years uh, behind the scenes on TV shows. I was in the states, New York and Philadelphia, set up uh, working for large companies, managing two million euro budgets and a team of thirty five. The rose happened. I double jobbed. I kept my full time job in Philadelphia. So I was coming in every weekend or every week whatever needed to happen. Um the Rose experience put me into every sort of room and corner and some rooms I was welcomed in, some I wasn't and you had to step up and make sure you're an advocate for this country and indeed the diaspora and women as a whole. Um and, and since moving back since twenty fifteen I I worked in startups. I worked in workbench in Limerick uh, working with uh, connecting our startup companies um, that worked in the workbench space to more seasoned entrepreneurs that could help them uh, and create events around um, them getting more capital or more infrastructure, whatever it may be. Um, I went into events and media is my is my background, what I've been focusing in on the last five years. Right. Um, and do you still want Dahi O'Shea's job or is that going no, out the window now? No, I don't know where that came. Not at all. Dahi O'Shea, Dahi, uh, Dahi O'Shea uh, unless they find someone else with such passion uh, who who loves the Rose Tree as much as a Rose does, that man deserves that job. He, he He's the best for it. I mean, one last question. And I always, through the interrupt, I always love the headlines that come out because Puck uh, in Kilorgan is on the week before. So they, they hail the goat. And they, I always love the headlines where the goat came down and then the goat went up and Dahi came down and Dahi went up. So they both come from the mountains. Love it. <laughs> just, just, just one last question. Uh, when I think of the Rose of Tralee, I've never met a Rosa Tralee who wasn't a fabulous woman. Oh, you're very I would kind. say that. On behalf of the 60 years of the festival this well, year. Well, thank you. <laughs> But can you imagine 32 men mm. doing that round of the country and putting on their best suits and and allowing other people to judge which of them is the best? I couldn't, but then that's what really makes us a resilient group of women. Um, you know what, there's so much more than the two TV nights that you see. Um, you know, I've had conversations with, I remember... Uh, just the just the conversations you have and the and and the celebration that it is and you know feminism and I, I always get asked this question is in many shapes and forms um, for me the the festival while people think it's twee and lovely and the father teds and lovely bottoms and all that nonsensical nonsense that we hear um, it, it's so much more than than what people for face value take it as and you're building uh, conversations with people who 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 go on stage. And talk about things that they're proud of, but equally, stage is just three and a half minutes of your of of your journey. Um, we would have met with various groups, various opportunities, and more so, it's a charitable year. So you're you're putting on a podium for organisations that may have never had been able the opportunity to talk on a national platform. So you do an awful lot of good work. Maria Walsh. More roses, please, lads. More roses. Maria Walsh, in <laughs> all your diversity, yeah. from being a pioneer and a serious Catholic to being the woman you are. Uh, I applaud you and we look forward to seeing 
much more of you. Thank you very much. And thank you. just before, I just want to shout out any any person, any age, particularly women, any dem- demographic age, um, put your hand up. Let's be accountable. Um, we talk about this blue wave coming in from the States. Let's just jump on that and, 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 and start making changes. Thank you, Maria Walsh. Thank you. Thanks to Maria Walsh there and the best of luck to all the new women candidates in local or European elections. Thanks also to Grace Tallon, who is organising that and still I rise event for International Women's Day. That's all we have time for. Remember, you can contact us on Twitter or Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.